your host, Carmilla, and this is Cat Scratch Radio, a horror podcast. Today we have horror author and scholar Cassandra O'Sullivan Satcher here to discuss tropes and blending genres in horror. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. So tell me a little bit about what you want to talk about today. So I'm both a writer and a scholar, as you already have introduced me. And so my novel is coming out in March, but I also have a scholarly volume coming out next year uh, with Vernon Press, No More Haunted Dolls, Horror Fiction That Transcends the Tropes. And different authors have submitted their chapters. Oh, and that's my dog. He's making his appearance from (laughs) hopefully the back room only and won't come in here. (laughs) Uh, But anyway... So that's coming out next year and I'm the editor of the book. It's my it's my little brainchild. I'm so sorry. The dog sucks. Sorry, <laughs> I guess it's true. But anyway, the whole focus for me is just about horror tropes are fun. They're enjoyable. We want to have these certain conventions to help make it horror. But also I like to see things coming together in a different way when authors add extra elements so it's not so predictable so it's not just putting a fresh coat of paint on something that's recycled but really just making something new okay yeah so how do you balance horror aspect with other aspects well again i think that just like in romance novels not that i read these anymore at one time i did and sorry romance lovers it's just not my thing anymore (laughs) But in romance, we have the meet cute. And we don't exactly have that in horror, but we have expectations to make it horror. So whether that's something supernatural or a serial killer or whatever it might be, we, we need to rely on those common patterns and themes. But then again, for me, it's okay, well, what else can we add in? So take, for example setting we have in horror often we have the haunted mansion or the haunted house mm-hmm. and it's been done and done and done and i i love some haunted houses not well not in real life but in mm-hmm. literature and film and so you take somebody like uh, sylvia moreno garcia who takes the haunted mansion trope and mm-hmm. completely does something new and different with it by for one thing setting it in mexico Mm-hmm. And deal with issues of race and class, whereas we're used to seeing the haunted mansion in, let's say, Poe's castellated abbeys somewhere in America or Europe. And to me, that's that's one way where she really transcended the trope instead of just doing the same old thing that's been done time and time again. Yeah, it's, it's funny you bring up Mexican Gothic because it's actually like my top tier number one favorite horror novel. Well, I'm, I always enjoy, for one thing, more female horror writers and also diverse writers. So as much as possible, I try to read a, a wide scope of writers. Yeah, me too. Uh, I recently read a book by a non-binary author called Ghost Punch. And it's a horror comedy, but it, it's literally about a girl who can punch ghosts. It's very... <laughs> It's got funny, it's got funny elements, but it's very cool. There's a lot of body horror in it. Oh, 
I have only recently for the first time written my own body horror. So I already wrote down the name and I will be checking that out. And horror comedy, talk about another way to do something different with horror. Yeah. I think it can be, it can be fun. And I think many of us do enjoy a nice range horror that runs the gamut. And so especially for something like a collection, a single author collection, I personally like to see, okay, some creepy stuff, maybe some serial killers, but also how about having fun with it, adding the comic element to it. I love that. I think that's a way we also transcend tropes in horror. Definitely. So does horror normally become the forefront of your work when you're doing it or does other elements take take the lead well it's funny because i've only really come back to creative writing in the last few years my full-time job is as an english professor and i came to the university level after teaching high school for 15 years and at, when I came to the university, my identity, my scholar identity was as a writing researcher. I was not writing creatively. I was not, I was definitely not publishing creatively. And then a few years ago during the pandemic, I sort of had my, hmm, I think I need something different in my life. And I went back to horror, or I'm sorry, I went back to creative writing, decided to start an MFA program and I, I didn't start that program with horror as my focus. I just was writing fiction, mostly literary fiction, a lot of creative nonfiction. And then I sort of fell into horror and I stayed there. So now horror really has become my thing. And I think that for me, part of it is just, I, I look at a situation and I see maybe, and. <laughs> Sadly, I think, what's the worst thing that could happen here? And then my brain goes with that. And it is, in a way, cathartic for me because I'm just imagining it and writing it. And it makes me strangely cheerful to write horror. And I don't know what that means, but it's who I am. (laughs) So horror is always part of my recent writing. I would say really the focus for my last year, year and a half. But I also like to create strong characters. Plot is very important to me, laying breadcrumbs, giving foreshadowing to really help the, the, the story come together in an unexpected way that still has those clues embedded in. And yeah, that's, I think that's, that's how it works for me. Strong characters a carefully constructed plot and also a detailed setting that is maybe not your expected setting but to me that's that's how i kind of construct my horror fiction awesome so what are some of the favorite genres that you have that you blend your horror with and why well as i as i said uh, i do here and there like some horror comedy I think we've all watched those cheesy, scary movies where, you know, we'll watch sometimes the worst things and, oh my gosh, it only has a 4.2 rating, but well, maybe it will be good. I'll just check it out and, and see what happens. And of course it's horrible if it has a really bad rating, but sometimes it can be a, a good, bad 
horror movie. And so I prefer when horror comedy is intentional rather than unintentional. But I think that there's just, there's some ridiculousness in, there can be some ridiculousness that we can have some fun with in the genre of horror. So horror comedy, body horror, as I said, is something that's newer to me, but really just having some strong characters, as I said, literary fiction is a place that I've, I've seen myself and been for a long time. And so it, to me, it just was a natural blending to add horror into that. So we have the beautiful landscape and whatnot described, the characters who are dealing with traumatic incidents in their lives. And then you add horror, whatever that might look like. Um, another one that comes to mind is Alma Katsu's The Hunger. Are you familiar with that novel? Uh, I have heard of it, but I have not read it. So that's a great one to blend genres because it's it's historical fiction, really. Uh, it's about the Donner Party. And then it also is about zombies. Oh. So it's called it zombies. And of course, the Donner Party, well, that's pretty horrific as it is just in real life. But she adds this other element and it, it's so beautifully written. And it's really just unexpected an unexpected blending of genres. So that one I really enjoy. Uh, even even something like The Shining, you know, Stephen King's classic. That's a very literary book. I've taken a, a deep look at it and really thought about Jack Torrance as a character. And he is not he is not just a a classic horror villain, really in the book. He's basically a good guy that falls into terrible circumstances and just the the shades of gray that we can see in his character i think that makes him not a villain exactly but just a a classic horror character tragic character with a tragic flaw yeah uh, i can see that i never thought about it that way so what you said that when you were writing literary fiction, you just kind of led it into horror. Was there anything specific that happened that got you into horror? Thankfully, no. <laughs> I don't think I have some deep trauma, but ever since I was a pretty young kid, I found myself interested in it. And I remember watching all the Friday the 13th movies and the Nightmare on Elm Street movies after everybody else in my family went to sleep and I would stay downstairs as a kid and watch those. I read the, the Tales from the Midnight Hour books. I was a little old for Goosebumps, but I definitely read the Christopher Pike novels and just found myself before I got into authors like Stephen King. There were, there were other authors that paved the way for me. Okay. So it's hard to say what draws me to it exactly i'm the kind of person who is very jumpy so somebody walks into my office during office hours and i jump and occasionally scream so why would i intentionally put myself through the trauma of watching horror movies and and reading horror novels well i'm not sure <laughs> but i i enjoy it and i think 
part of it is just because I know that it's not real. It's fiction. And so it's a controlled scare. If I get too scared, which I don't usually, I can put the book away, close the book, or turn off the movie. And that, I think, is uh, psychologically a way that I control my own fear. But I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know. I'm an English professor. <laughs> <laughs> so... I ask everybody this, where do you see horror as a genre going in the next five years? I think that there, well, first of all, I think that it's become so big and has so many subgenres now that both readers and authors are really getting to find their own spaces. So for me personally, I'm, I'm not a splatterpunk writer or, or reader. But I know that that's a, a big subgenre at this time. Mm -hmm. And even as I mentioned, the body horror, this is something that I haven't really read much of, but that's becoming something new too. And so I see it, I mean, really as being a very inclusive place for lots of different things. I think that in the past, horror was only so many different elements and now we're really being pioneers and, and making content the way that we want to make it. And we're finding audiences for it. So I, I think that it will continue to grow. I read a statistic recently that since the pandemic, horror movies have just exploded in popularity. And I'm sure, again, a psychologist would have some thoughts on why. But I, I just see horror continuing to grow, continuing to become more mainstream. I know, I'm sure you're aware of a, of a lot of the backlash against horror as a genre and mm -hmm. horror writers. But I think that we're going to see it more. I think we'll see more acceptance. I, as, I really hope author. so. I hope so, too. So what are some of your favorite tropes in horror? Like ones that you would want to take and elevate and make something out of? Well, first I'll tell you my least favorite trope. <laughs> my least favorite is it was all a dream. Oh. That one, I just, I just can't with that one. That one I really think has just been played out. And I always have to groan when I get to the end of the story and, oh, it was all a dream. So that is not one of my favorites. Uh, what brought me to my scholarly work was actually writing a haunted doll story. But I have to say, I love haunted dolls. I think they're fun. I just want them to do something different. So my whole scholarly volume, No More Haunted Dolls, horror fiction that transcends the tropes, came to me after getting a rejection for my haunted doll story where the editor said the writing is really good but this has just been played out and I thought huh interesting but then you watch a movie like Megan mm -hmm. and say okay well here's a really interesting take on the haunted doll trope I mean we have AI we have a haunted doll trope really coming together. And I personally, I loved that movie. I thought uh, it was so well done. I thought it was a really interesting movie. Um, it, it took me two sittings to watch it because I started watching it before I was going to leave the house one day and wasn't expecting to get into it, but I ended up finishing it. And 
I really thought it was a really good take on the haunted doll trope, but like also getting into that trope of AI is going to take yes. over. Yeah. Uh, really cool blend. I don't think, th I feel like it could have been executed at, in like a stronger way, but I do think that they played into the trauma of a child losing her parents and why she would get so connected and that trauma bonding was very fascinating to me. I agree. And I just found out today that they're making a Megan 2.0. So. Oh. I'm all in. I, I was, I was afraid that it was just going to be the same old, same old, but I thought how timely with AI. I mean, again, in my job as an English professor, of course, AI writing and just in, um, the literary world, AI writing these AI generated texts that are stealing the content of writers and making money for these scammers. Mm -hmm. AI is very in my face, in my profession. Is so, that something you, do you have to struggle with that with any of your students uh, trying to turn in like chat GPT written essays? You know, I was much more worried when it first came out that that would be a thing now again you can read all sorts of articles on this and it will say oh all these students are admitting that they're cheating <laughs> so we really do i can't ignore the fact that ai exists and it's something we discuss we talk about i i, I try not to ever give them any sort of morality lessons because i'm their professor I'm not their priest or their pastor or something, but I try to focus more on just the learning, the skills that they're taking away with this. And so I have caught some students who are using AI, but it surprisingly, knock on wood, is not as blatant and uh, it's, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. Knock on wood, again, I knocked yeah. twice because <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, I have essays due tomorrow and uh, somewhere out in the world, somebody's proving me wrong, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your favorite scary movie or novel and why? Mm, that is a hard question. Okay, no, it's not a hard question for a movie. My favorite scary movie has got to be The Ring. And the, the reason for that, um, the, the American the, version or the Japanese, I have watched both, but I have to say I loved the Naomi Watts version. And okay. when I went to see that movie, I mean, I saw it in the movie theater when it first came out in what the early 2000s, I think. And it really just, just as scream a few years prior kind of turned the genre a little Mm -hmm. I thought that the ring did it even more. And when I tell, when I tell young people, <laughs> when I tell them about, oh, the ring is so scary. And they're like, eh, is it really though? But to me, it sort of is like, if, if you say, oh, um, the catcher in the rye is such an innovative book, it does all this. And then you read it in modern day and you're like, well, so many books have done that. Yes. But that was the first one that tried out this teenage angst you know unreliable narrator sort of thing yeah so definitely the ring just it brought such uh, 
finesse, I thought, to the movie. And we have some classic elements. There are some horrific, grisly scenes, but just the care and of the plotting and whatnot, I just, I recently rewatched that movie after not seeing it for a long time. And I think it stands up. So I have to say that is my favorite scary movie of all time. The very first time I watched The Ring was actually on, I, I want to say we rented it on DVD and I was in the middle of watching it and my phone rang. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been so like apprehensive to answer a phone in my life. Oh yeah, that that's a little well. Hopefully, they didn't say anything about seven days because <laughs> no, I I have to say I love that movie. I woke up the night after or the night that I had seen it in the middle of the night, and I turned on the light because I actually felt that scared from a movie, and I was a grown up, so. That that definitely stuck with me. Yeah, In uh, I have the same thing with. I, have you seen the Uninvited? I know that I have seen that movie, but off the top of my head, I'm not remembering it. So I need a quick little IMDb reminder. It's um so it's a psychological horror about a girl who was in the psych ward after her mom's death and she comes back to live with her dad and her sister again and then all these horrible things start to happen. All right, I've definitely seen this but I don't really remember it but I'll tell you what. I will check it out again. I hope that it still holds up but that movie gave me nightmares for a week. Yeah. Well, see, I mean it's ridiculous here where talking of the uninvited no we're inviting these nightmares we are choosing to watch this stuff <laughs> yeah we are <laughs> but you know what the great thing about nightmares when you're a horror writer is hey thanks for the ideas subconscious yeah, I've, true. I've definitely written stories based on nightmares that i've had I have two uh sometimes short stories specifically otherwise um, I've had nightmares that I've just written out the entire thing and then woke up the next day and I don't know how I do it, but at 4am in the morning I will type out everything that was in my dream, I'll wake up the next day and I will have a perfectly written synopsis. Wow, okay, see that's that's your subconscious doing work, I like that. Yeah, and, and then I get to just send that to my agent and she goes, is this the next book? <laughs> Perfect. Well, I am planning to write my next book. I'm waiting until the summer because my I have I have a few new classes that I have to teach next semester and just know that the semester will be very difficult for me to immerse myself into writing the way I'd like. So I don't have an idea yet, but I will write a new book, a horror novel this summer. So nightmares, come on, come give me <laughs> ideas. I'm waiting. I say that, and meanwhile, I'll have nightmares of being stuck in an airport or something that will just not <laughs> be good enough for a novel. <laughs> I, I, I did write a short story about um, a guy who's stuck in an airport for eternity. It's his, it's his own personal hell. <laughs> oh, that would be awful. <laughs> <laughs> it would. <laughs> that would not be my idea of a good time. I think most of my nightmares are having to go back to high school. 
high school was a time for me. I was not the most popular kid in school. I was definitely a nerd and I had my nose in a book. So <laughs> every once in a while. <laughs> I think the nightmare I've probably had the most also is about school, but it's about, oh my gosh, I forgot that I had this class and now there's a final today and I haven't studied for it. So again, not really a good nightmare to generate ideas for a novel. <laughs> no, those stress dreams just d definitely don't do it for me. Same. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully I'll have something spookier that can spark some inspiration. Definitely. Not from, not from real life though. Just, just a dream, <laughs> just a nightmare. So what are three books you recommend everybody read? Definitely The Shining. And I've read that book at various times throughout my life. And, you know, probably one of the first horror novels that I've ever read. I can remember being annoyed with my parents and just going on a walk, reading The Shining. It was weird. I don't know how, well, luckily I lived in the country, so I didn't get hit by a car. But I enjoyed it as a teenager. I enjoyed it in my 20s. And I just recently reread it uh, this year, actually, in my 40s and enjoyed it, too. And even though it was written in the 70s, I really believe that it holds up just strong characters, such a fantastic setting, a carefully constructed plot, all of the things that I like coming together. And I thought it really just does justice to the characters in the novel. So I definitely recommend that. Another one, well, we've already talked about it, Mexican Gothic. Definitely Just, a good choice. And hmm, for another one, there's so many. <laughs> I'm going to give you, can I give you more than one more? Oh yeah, go for it. There are a couple popping into my head right now. So one that I want to bring up is You by Caroline Kepnes. And I'm sure most people have heard about the show on Netflix, but the book really, really just to me did something different with the genre. And, you know, we've had all of these serial killers before. A serial killer is nothing new. But what I find so interesting about Joe Goldberg is that he truly is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And the actor of the series in interviews has said he becomes very frustrated when people say, oh, I love Joe. And he's like, no, Joe is a killer. Joe is a disgusting person. He's awful. And people romanticize that. But that's that's their stuff, I guess. I thought that the author did a fantastic job getting into his head and just not romanticizing him. We can relate to Joe, which is scary. He's an anti-hero, but he's not, he's not Michael Myers. We can't really relate to Michael Myers. He's just out to kill. Right. But Joe reads books like we read books. He thinks that pretentious people are obnoxious. In some ways he's so relatable, but then he's a stalker. He's a killer. He crushes anyone and anything that gets in the way of his goal. And he is a monster, but he's a very realistic monster. And I think that the author just painted him so 
realistically and horrifically that it's it's really really worth the read have you read that one i have not i've seen uh, bits and pieces of the show i enjoy the show but that novel oof definitely definitely worth your time and the other one that I, I just have to bring up is Paul Tremblay's A Head Full of Ghosts. Are you familiar with that one? Head Full of Ghosts. I think I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. That's another one where talk about transcending tropes. I mean, there's this, this teenage girl who is suspected as a case of possession. And then a film crew comes into the house, this family's house to document this. And so there are just all of these different layers. There are two different timelines where we have the supposedly possessed girl's little sister. We see her as a little girl. And again, in the future, after everything has happened. And there's just this faltering family dynamic. There are all these driving questions that just keep you going as a reader. And what I love is the balance of you have some supercharged, gory, violent scenes because it is a horror novel. But you also have this balance with family dinners and interactions between the parents and kids and even the documentary crew. And it's, it's really, this sounds strange to say, but it's a beautiful horror novel. <laughs> there is sometimes beauty in horror, and I enjoy that. So it turns out the reason I've heard of it is because it's sitting in my uh, to-be-read list. Oh, that's uh, a good one. I've read that, read that at least twice, and I'm not always somebody who goes back and rereads books because I think there are more books. There are new books that I can read, but that's one where it, it's definitely, it's so well written and so full of, of different stuff that I thought, let me reread this and, and see what it's all about. Definitely. So it's a good, good one to analyze. Yeah, I'll read that one next. I'm reading Starling House by Alex E. Harrow right now. All right, what am I reading right now? I just finished Blaine Daigle's newest book, A Dark Rue. And so I just started a new book and I'm blanking out on it. It is about Edgar Allan Poe. I'm a big lover of Edgar Allan Poe. Same. <laughs> I mean, Edgar Allan Poe is trendy again right now. So that's great. I mean, my novel that's coming out in March just happens to be about an Edgar Allan Poe scholar. So I'm, I'm liking that people are into the fall of the house of usher right now oh i bet let's <laughs> <laughs> see if they're still into it by the time march rolls around i'm looking at my kindle to see what this book is called because it, it's really fun edgar Allan poe is a character and it's involving his death and i can't find it darn it but i am enjoying it whatever it is <laughs> Now I feel horrible that I can't figure out what it's called. I'm sure that it'll come to you after. Of course, as, as things always do. So where can my listeners find you online? Well, they can find me at my website, which is 
a whole long name because my name is long. I always say, uh, Cassandra O'Sullivan Satcher, long in name, short in stature, since I am <laughs> short. And nobody ever knows how to pronounce my last name. So it, my, I have a website, CassandraO'SullivanSatcher.com. No apostrophe, because apostrophes don't work with websites, apparently. No, they don't. <laughs> I found out the hard way. So I have a, a lot of my published short stories on there for free, and there's information about my novel, and I will definitely be adding a link for my novel when it comes, as soon as the pre-order link becomes available. So before I let you go, tell us a little bit about the novel coming up. Well, certainly I can do that. It's very much on my mind right now. And the novel is called Darkness There, But Something More. So a play on, of course, Poe's line from The Raven, Darkness There and Nothing More, because with my character, there is something more. So Marissa Owens is an Edgar Allan Poe scholar. She has gone through a few very bad years, losing a baby, getting divorced from her husband. And so she leaves her job as a tenured English professor at a prestigious university. She needs a fresh start. So she ends up going back to her alma mater, which is set in Blackthorn, PA, a rural Pennsylvanian town. And she goes there just because her old English professor, who was a friend of hers, had told her there was a position open for a visiting professor. So she's trying to start her new life, move on from her traumas, and starts doing her thing, becomes close with students, and one of her students goes missing, and this is right in the blurb, so it's not a huge spoiler, she ends up dead. And then Marissa is drawn into the investigation since she was close with the student, and we go into a dual timeline where part of the book takes place in the present day when Marissa is a college professor. And part of the book takes place in the late 90s when Marissa was at that same college as a student, a student who was pledging a sorority and dealing with her own problems. So when we get into the reason that that comes up is because the student who is in the current timeline who is found to be dead. There are rumors that she was pledging a sorority and that something happened with that. And so what ends up happening without giving spoilers away is that this current trauma is triggering some memories from the past, including a secret that Marissa would like to keep in the past. And there's lots of Poe because she's a Poe scholar. So darkness there, but something more coming from Wicked House Publishing in March, 2024. Nice. Sounds great. Um, thank you so much for being on Cat Scratch Radio. I've had a wonderful time talking to you this evening. Is there anything else you'd like to say, parting words? Um, only that if you want to read more from me, there's the dog again. He came into the room despite me closing the door twice. <laughs> <laughs> I also have my short story collection, which is all horror stories, coming out sometime next year from Bellix Books. So 27 tales 
Dark Tales, Keeper of Corpses, and Other Dark Tales is what it's called. Very fun. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Yeah, have a great evening. You too. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Cat Scratch Radio, a horror podcast with your host, Carmilla Mays, also known as Matu C. Lawrence. If you want to find me on social media, just look up MX Carmilla.